Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Oh my God, world. First of all, I miss you. I miss you, man. When I say that, I mean it. I don't just say I miss you just to say it, guys. I really do. Talking to you for you. It's become a real thing of joy for me, man. And doing gold mines, well, it's now my calm. It's my calm. It's my happy. It's my reason. Because I get to talk to dope people. Dope people daily. And I get to take those daily dope conversations and deliver them to you. That's called the three D's. The dope daily delivery. It doesn't get better than that. This episode of Gold Mines will be no different. It won't. Because we got another dope mind to get into, man. And that's what makes our show special, right? Finding the dope people that you may be aware or not aware of. And then finding more reasons to tap into their level of awareness. And then after that, being a part of the dope train. That's what I'm hoping to do here today. A great mind. Great creative mind, man. A great creative mind. By the way... My favorite people, people that love to sit, generate, create, because that's what makes the world go round. Phenomenal writer, a guy who's had a lot of success, worked with my friends, actually. And now I got the privilege of saying he's a part of my Sirius XM family, which is a dope energy to talk about as well. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Diallo Riddle to the show. Wow. Thank you, man. That? Thank you for having me on the show. How about that for introduction? Yeah, beautiful. You want to you talk about the introduction for a second? Should we stay there and just acknowledge the depth? Of the introduction. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, well, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> I didn't know if you were asking that of the, of the, of the, of the engineer or something like that. Um, no, I think the, the introduction is perfect. Bro. Where are you, man? Uh, I'm in the Sirius XM uh, studio here in uh, beautiful Hollywood, California, where there's a strike where, you know, writers like me are, uh, you know, <laughs> taken to the streets, taken to the studios, walk, walking around with signs and just trying to get some fair pay out of the uh, people. You know what? I'm glad you brought it up first because I was going to get into it right off the top, man. These are the times, of course, that our, that our business have met with that are necessary. You know, and the reason why they're necessary is because sometimes the real people behind the scenes that are part of the machine get overlooked. And it's easy to keep overlooking. It's easy to keep um, moving in a manner of disregard. And sometimes it's, uh, it's important to take a pause. Sometimes it's important to halt things and, you know, make people aware. And as a guy that knows how necessary and needed writers are, I support, I support, I get I, it, I understand. And, and it's, 
is real. Uh, what's your what's your stance um, just in these moments? I mean, you've been in the business for a while. Is this what was this is, since your career? Would this be like the second one that you've no, seen? You know, I wasn't even I wasn't even a writer in two thousand seven. In fact, I was one of those people waiting for the strike to end so that me and my writing partner Bashir Salahuddin. Um, you know, we, we were hoping that the strike would end so that we could join the guild and start working. Mm. Um, this is our first full-on strike. And I was just thinking, like, you know, it's, it's proof that billionaires, as it turns out, are very greedy. You know, mm-hmm. no, no offense to your tribe, but, mm-hmm. you know, billionaires can... <laughs> they like money. I, I will say, in all seriousness, um, you know, we had a big Writers Guild meeting last night, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. This is probably not the time for that. You know what I find that in business acts as like a massive halt at times? It's the lack of understanding of deal flow, right? And what I mean by lack of understanding, this is no shots at anybody, but the assumption as to what people should have or what they deserve is sometimes where the fall the fall comes in, right? Because the assumption says, you guys are getting this and we need to get this because that's what's over there. And then when you really get into the pie, you start to see how thin it's sliced, right? And the packages that are like, available, you find that, you know, these packages are truly packaged from a writer, from a studio, from, a, yeah. <laughs> from, from talent. I mean, you know, out of any pie, right? If, if there's a house full of people and there's one pie and everybody wants a piece of pie, the slices on that pie get thinner. And there's some people who feel like they want to eat a little more than others. And they say, well, I should be able to eat a little more than others because I'm the one that makes the pie. And then some other mm-hmm. people come, yeah, but that pie wouldn't be nothing if I didn't have the ingredients. I'm the yeah, one that comes I mean, the ingredients. It's, <laughs> it's so much. You didn't make this pie. Yeah. You know, I think that that's what people forget. And uh, just to put everything in perspective, the amount of compensation that the writers are asking for the various companies to throw into the pot for us is uh, roughly about $400 million. That sounds like a lot of money, but then you take into consideration that the heads of Netflix plus the head of, I think it's Paramount, together equals 400. I'm just talking about three people in our industry, the three, those three CEOs. Their total compensation last year is $400 million. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about $400 million spread out the entire industry. Everybody who writes from that, that kid, Paw Patrol, <laughs> up into you know, Game of Thrones, we're talking about $400 million for all those writers in the guild. And you've got three people, you know, are part of the group saying no, and just their three salaries alone equal that much. So I just want to put that in perspective. No, look, when you get to talking numbers, um, I can see where the idea gets a little more, what's the word? It seems to be more reasonable, right? Because if you're looking at it just from the ballpark of baseline understanding. Hey man, this business generates billions of dollars. From the billions of dollars generated, what do we get to see in return? We're looking for security. We're looking for longevity. We're looking to support and take care of our families ultimately, just like everybody else. And ultimately, you know, you're looking at something that gives a line of protection between the union that you guys stand in. As a guy that just, I fuel my company off of the talent that comes from your world. So who am I to sit on the outside and go, what the fuck, right? Like, what, the, huh? 
Are you fucking kidding me? What? Right now? Like, who am I to do that? I can only stand and support and hope that you guys ultimately get the things that you deserve. And the reason why I say deserve is because the engine has lasted for so long, right? Like this business that we're in has really lasted for so long because of the talent that comes from the world of creatives like yourself and many more. So I appreciate that, man. I mean, like I, you know, we've almost come this close to working a couple of times. I still think about that radio station idea that you brought us (laughs) a couple of years ago, man. man. It's it's a great idea. It's It's a healthy place. And I think that the good thing that came from TV moving past just ABC, NBC, the broadcast networks into the streaming space was that you could tell a really specific story about a radio. This is not WKRP in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just throw mm-hmm. way back. Like, this would be a very specific to the hip-hop industry and probably the city of Atlanta or something like that. You know, like, it's a very specific story. So that part of it is good. I think our only issue is that because streamers have made so much uh, pro- you can call it progress, you can call it profit, whatever you want to call it, because they've grown so big in the last 10 years and they've really sort of locked out the people who helped get them there. They didn't get there just because people wanted to stream their shows. It's also because there was stuff to stream. There was House of Cards in the beginning and then over time there were just all these other shows to now all the top shows are, are, are on streaming but they haven't shared that with the people who actually created the shows. Well, the appetite. I mean, also the appetite for TV is different now, right? Yeah. The appetite for TV and it just being the one show a week, um, <laughs> you know, is it's really a forgotten territory. And even though that still exists to some degree, you have people that would much rather wait till they can binge and watch the term binge watch. And yeah. to binge watch, that season has to be made available fast and the demand for the following season is a little faster based off of the success of the other. The writer's rooms get started well before, you know, the the final stages of the end season, the conversations happen. Like there's a there's a revolving machine um, that's churning a little faster than what it used to in Absolutely. the days of old, right? And the demand for content is significantly different. It's 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 different. It, and yes. by the way, you know, just to build on your point, Think about the number of people who only sign up for a streamer when there's one show they want to watch. So I know people who will sign up for Netflix, let's say, just because they want to watch Wednesday or Stranger Things. And then the second that, you know, they binge it, they cancel their subscription and wait for the next show to binge. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, And in the industry, they call that churn. And I think that, uh, you know, right now, while there are no new shows coming, I think there's going to be a lot more churn expected. Like, you know, people can spend that $17 on a, on a bottle of wine. You know what yeah. I mean? I feel like we have to get back at the bargaining table. We got to figure out something that works for both sides and, and get past this is my take. Well, you you see the importance of a union. Um, naturally, these things have to happen, and they're always for the better of good. And I don't know why they had to happen while I'm in the business. Yeah, why you? Yeah, listen. Why listen. not a couple of years before or after I'm in, I'm doing my thing? Hey, look, I'm keeping it very calm, cool, and collective uh, on this podcast. But if you don't think I'm like, man, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <if laughs> we gotta work, man. Yeah, if I don't have if I don't have some shit that's halted. Stand well. up. I mean, like the beautiful thing is you have stand up. That is. Completely separate from the guild. And I know a lot of people, I, I respect stand ups. I, I really wish I could be that person. I, I came up through sketch comedy. Like, I understand sketch comedy. I understand, you know, getting out there playing a character, wearing wigs and, and, and 
goofy glasses. You know, we actually tried to do sketch at a stand-up. We we took our sketch show to the comedy <laughs> store here in L.A., and it was a disaster. I mean, <laughs> you have never seen an audience react with such hostility. <laughs> I have never been heckled. There was a dude, I'll never forget, there was a dude in the front row who was like, man, he, he called out the way he's like, man, give me another drink. <laughs> In the middle of our sketch. Like, it's so funny how different sketch comedy is from stand-up comedy. And the two rarely meet. (laughs) You know what's crazy, man? It makes you understand the importance of just having the diversity within your portfolio in the business, right? And Mm. and that term portfolio, some people understand it, some people don't. But being able to do enough so that when these storms present themselves, that you have, you know, other things that, you can shift to until the wait of is over. And honestly, like, that's why I've always been the guy to do or try to do as much as I possibly can, right? Because if you put a bunch of fucking bricks in that building, it's very hard to knock that building down, Mm. right? Like, you can shift it. You can shift the weight in the building. But if there's a lot of bricks all over the place, it's hard to fucking knock it down. I remember when the pandemic started, right? And... When the pandemic started is where my company actually, where we saw a spike. And it was because we were like, well, we can't just not do anything during the times where uh, doing nothing seems to be highlighted. I was energizing and urging people like, let's figure out the thing that we can do. And within that space of Zoom is where like Celebrity Game Face started, which we're like season six of now. But the idea of a game show through Zoom, being in people's homes where they could go, that shit all came up during the pandemic, like thinking outside the box and positioning yourselves to be balanced when off balance. So, you know, right now, focusing on stand-up, focusing on unscripted, things like that is just kind of where you can gear towards. I want to I wanna shift now, though, and I want to go into like, you know, let's get into the positive side of writing. Although there is a strike, right, and the strike is necessary because because you want what you do, what's just on your behalf, rightfully so. I'm aligned, right? Fucking power with you. I stand with you guys. Um, at the same time, I want to know why writing? What, what is it that basically sparked the interest to say, this is going to be my career? This is what I want to do. When did that light bulb go off you, Diallo? You know what's interesting is I, I only realized recently that I've been a writer almost my entire life. Mm. Um, in the third grade, I wrote... <laughs> I was really into World War II documentaries. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to say right out the bat, I am the archetypical black nerd. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I was always... Using a word like archetypical, definitely, <laughs> I don't think my, you my, had to bring my point it. on home. Yeah. I bring my point on you, home. You just, I think you just nailed it right out the gate. Go ahead. Listen, my dad used to watch all these World War II documentaries, and I was so fascinated. In third grade, I wrote a 50-page typed story about Royce Riddle, um, who was a black spy in Nazi Germany. And by the way, my third grade, I never explained how a black man could infiltrate Nazi Germany. That, that part didn't even come into play. <laughs> but the fact is, he was sneaking into hotels and he sneaked into Hitler's hotel with the antenna on killing him. And I wrote this up and my father was so impressed. He like sewed this like cover onto the book. Uh, you know, it's still somewhere in my house, but I gave it to my teacher and they put it in the school library. And I remember thinking at the time, like, wow, I'm published. <laughs> Little moments in a child's life like that uh, can lead to a lot. So for the rest of my school term, I always thought of myself as I'm the guy who's, you know, 
a writer. And, you know, I thought I was going to go into nonfiction. I went to Harvard University. That's where I met my writing partner, Bashir Salahuddin. I grew up in Atlanta. He grew up in Chicago, both on the South side, you know, like I was Southwest Atlanta. He was South side Chicago. We came from like working class, you know, slash broke families. Uh, but we put a high premium on what we were into. And he was into theater. I thought I wanted to do nonfiction writing. You know, I was at the Kennedy School of Government writing papers and articles for the Kennedy School papers. But then at some point, I graduated from Harvard and didn't know what I wanted to do. And I moved out to L.A. where I had extended family. Now, I grew up in Atlanta, but my family's lived in California since the early 1900s. In fact, 1907 is when I trace my my paternal grandfather moving out here. He was a preacher in, in rural Ohio, and something brought him to Pasadena at a time when Black people couldn't even live in Glendale, so they had to all live in Pasadena. And I'm a person who's really into, like, ancestry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, this is, it's interesting, like, you just yeah. talking about, like, tracking down your reasons for why. I'm loving it. Go ahead, keep going. No, no, no. Okay, so, yeah, without going too deep into it, I, I moved out here. My sister was doing some work in casting and... You know, I basically got bit by the Hollywood bug. The industry, I love the weather. You know, I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to stay out here and I'm going to try my hand at this. Okay. Um, I supported myself by being a DJ. I was DJing at the Standard <laughs> Hotel, you know, every week, several times a week. But I was writing and Bashir, you know, moved out here shortly thereafter. And he started writing. And I'll never forget this. My mom was like, you guys are so funny. Why don't you guys try writing together? And oh, that wow. was, your mom. You know, so your mom suggested it. My mom suggested we, I remember she, you know, again, we were broke. So like we would go over my mom's, my father had just passed and mom was like always making us meals, you know, at her apartment in Park La Brea. So we would go over there to eat for free, essentially. And I'll never forget, I had a plate of half eaten chicken and she suggested that we start writing the stuff down. And I was like, yeah, me and Bashir, we used to always keep people laughing at the lunch table back at college. Why don't we try and do this? So mom, rest in peace as well. Like, you know, she threw out that inkling of an idea that we, and that was actually when I stopped doing nonfiction writing. That was when okay. I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this sense of humor and write some stuff with Bashir. At that time, it was just Bashir will act and I will write. And I will, I'll never forget, we, we formed a sketch group. And there was one part that like, we brought in a whole bunch of actors to do this one role and nobody was nailing it. But, you know, Bashir and I knew how we wanted it delivered. So I did the role and I got out there at the Hudson Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard and played this one part. And a room full of 99 people laughed at me. And I was like, okay, now I got the acting bug too. So you got hit with the combo pack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the combo pack. By the way, by the way, that that sketch group is we're gonna have to do a a, a reunion one day because that sketch group was nobody was famous, nobody had done anything. But the people in that sketch group were me, Bashir Salahuddin, Robin Thede. Wyatt Sinek. Wow. Uh, Nika King, who plays Zendaya's mom on Euphoria. Yeah. Uh, and Nefertari Spencer. At the time, like, nobody had done it. We thought Wyatt was a superstar because he had written on one season of King of the Hill. You know, like, we were like, that dude's made it in Hollywood. But, like, that was that was our very first sketch, you know, company. And uh, everybody have you guys Have you guys went and reflected? You guys haven't, like just uh, tapped in and kind of simply just talked about how crazy it was where you guys used to be to where you guys all find yourselves at now? It was crazy. So it was 2005. We didn't even really have smartphones in 2005. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. the only footage we have is of one show and that, sh- it, that shit is so grainy. <laughs> like it is grainy. You can barely tell the difference between me and Wyatt in that footage. Um, 
everybody kind of went their own way in 2006. And by 2007, Bashir and I were doing web videos online uh, with Robin. We, we stayed in touch with Robin and, and Nefertari. Um, you know, Robin worked with me um, on uh, Real Husbands of Hollywood. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, and we always knew Robin was a star. I'll never forget her audition. She came in with that big laugh, like, <laughs> you know, and, like, we were immediately like, who is this? Who is this fool? You know, so we, we spotted that right off the bat. I'm, I'm so proud of that group. I think one day, we will get everybody's schedules in line and I'll make sure everybody's still cool with everybody because, you know, <laughs> people like people like to go out with people after, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, that's I that's sure a story. Cool. I, I just sure feel like that's cool. a great story within itself. You know what I mean? Like you guys just... Hungry, just, just hungry 20-year-olds yeah, yeah. in the business. Yeah, Trying to figure out the, the way in, trying to figure out what the next thing is like that there's nothing more exciting than the young group of creators because you're feeding off of one another right and i always once- tell that to people i always say whenever people are like oh how do i break into the business i'm like the, the key is not getting a meeting you know with kevin hart or or you know like people who've already the key is to work with people like at your level you know what i'm saying and like to hone the craft and get good at it and then at some point one of you will blow up and then, you know, assuming that they're not terrible people, <laughs> they'll be like, yo, you know who else is great? That person mm-hmm. who I've been mm-hmm. working with, and like everybody lifts everybody else up. You know what I mean? Like, that's why we continue to work with. And by the way, it's still real good friends with Robin. I think that, you know, everybody is always thinking like, oh, you know who's really good at that? Nefertari. Oh, you know who might be good for that? Yeah, like, if you think about the people you came up with, you should really try and work with them when one of you blows up. Because <laughs> somebody does. Who inspires you? What What are the writers that have, like, inspired you? And even when you're talking about writing and acting and the combo pack of it all, right? Like, that wheel doesn't stop. When you got the bug of create, it doesn't stop no. there. You, you're not plateaued. It spins off into directing and, you know, after that, the expansion goes so far past that to where you're creating an experience and it's like you're, whatever it is that the vision like feeds off of is what you find yourself wanting to execute on. So who do you feel like in today's time acts as a major inspiration of like, wow, they're opening up new doors. I love what they're doing. Fan of their work. Like, <laughs> God, that makes me want to do more. Um, That's a great question. Um, let me take a step back and say that the reason why... Bashir and I came together was because we were sort of loving the same things. We loved The Simpsons. We mm-hmm. loved we loved the Muppets and everything Jim Henson ever touched. I always say that we were fans of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. You know, to me that who was, was like, it? Bruh, what do you mean? It's one of the best movies. Yes. Of all time. What are you talking Quiet. about? Like saying I mean, it's that the is first it? Tim Burton movie. Uh, and my only beef with Tim Burton is that I don't know what's with him and Wes Anderson. I want them to work with black people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I love the, the unique vision that a Tim Burton has and the, that a Wes Anderson, I just want to see more color, but like Pee Wee's big adventure is like Paul Rubin playing a perfect character. Uh, Tim, Tim Burton directing, um, you know, Danny Elfman did this, did the music for that and The Simpsons. I always say music is so important. If you go back and look at the work of Danny Elfman and, and John Williams, there's music strung throughout the movies. And I feel like, you know, I, I left this part out, but Bashir and I did not meet because we were the funny guys at the lunch table. We actually met because we were in an acapella group. You know, we, we, we were in Harvard's only <laughs> gospel uh, group. 
And it's funny because I grew up basically in a black intellectual family that was spiritual, but we didn't go to church every week. And as a result, like growing up in Atlanta, like everybody was like, oh, I like you, Diallo, but you're not saved. And I was like, I believe in God. I just haven't gone to church this week. And Bashir was raised Muslim, so that was a non-starter for a lot of people. But, <laughs> but we were in the we were we were in the gospel choir, and we were like, "Yo, we want to." We we got with some of the other guys who who were very religious, but we were like, "Hey, y'all, we need, we need to do some. We want to do some secular songs." So, and they were like, they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna sound like Shy and Silk and all these other groups that are really popular right now." And so we broke off, and and we were like singing, you know, in any Boston coffee spot that would have us, you know, wow. that was our first foray into performance together. We were singing that. We were singing If I Ever Fall in Love by Shy. Like we were singing all these, you know, we wore the matching maroon sweaters because we wanted <laughs> to be boys to men. It was just, it was a great time. But music's been there since the beginning. And I feel like that was, all, music is always a very important part of just mm-hmm. our comedy. You know, that's why when we ended up at Jimmy Fallon, after joining the union, after the last strike, uh, you know, one of our first jobs was working at Jimmy Fallon. He had the roots there and he was like, I want funny songs for our show. And so me and Bashir got to work. We did, you know, a history of rap, which was just a medley of songs with him and Justin Timberlake. And we did slow jam in the news for years. You know, we ended up doing slow jam in the news with Barack Obama. You know, uh, first time I ever got to meet President Obama, which was insane and cool. And you try. Well, you guys used to crush. You used to crush on that. Like that. And that wheelhouse, when you're talking about the music integration with comedy, like that's where you guys as a tandem fucking crush. Like there's no, there's no in between. And, you know, to seamlessly fit into that world of late night with Jimmy, the roots, et cetera. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things where you go, oh, wow, I get it. And also, you know, that's a that's a space where Jimmy loves to play. A lot of his success, you know, um, on SNL, it came from that side of the music integration with his sketches, with his bits. Like I'm telling you, Questlove and Chappelle, they both say all the time that uh, you know most comedians want to be musicians and most musicians want to be comedians. Yes, in cases you're just trying to get people to feel something. You know what I'm saying? And it's a sort of a similar task at hand. You know what's sad about me? You know how many things I've had to turn down simply because the honest question comes up? Kev, do you sing? Let's go. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm fucking out of here. You, you, you don't you, sing. Yeah, look, you guys can kiss my ass. <laughs> Wait, Kev, Mr. Hart. But this is a great shut up. I know what the fuck is happening here. Okay. You don't think I know what the fuck is happening here? I don't have a melody in my fucking body, but I would kill. <laughs> for one, do you hear me? I would. I wonder what that kill. is. Can you, can you not hear the note? Because I, man, just, I feel like even hearing the rasp in your voice, I feel like there's a singer in there. Man, not at all, girl. If I okay. could tell you okay. I love you, then you and I, and I'm not fucking around. That's me really going for it. You just lost subscribers. I yeah, know. I just really went for it. I didn't. That's not a bit. <laughs> I want to make that very clear to the listeners. That's not a bit. That was it. I just gave you what the fuck I got. <laughs> Girl, if I... And I only got that. By the way, everything I try to sing starts off with, Girl, that's it. That's the one thing that I think I have to say first to have any confidence in what's following after. <laughs> it's horrible. It's I, a fucking I, this, sad day. Girl is a good start word. 
it's, if, if I could fucking hold the tone, it would be. Um, I love it. I love. I love how interesting you are. As no, I'm you, like, and by the way, I didn't even answer your question because I, I started off talking about the things that influenced us then. I think the things that influence, you know, me personally now are the things that aren't. It's the things that aren't overly safe. You know what I mean? It's the things that surprise you. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about two things from the 90s lately, and I'm like, how did that ever happen? The first Far Side album, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. I went back and listened to it, and I was like, holy, I think I know every lyric on this, but not even just every lyric, but like every ad lib or funny thing they're saying in the background. It's just an incredible album. And almost every joke per song would probably get them canceled nowadays. It's definitely a function of like the light of the of the 90s hip hop, but like it's an incredible comedy record. It, it honestly feels like sort of a black Monty Python album. It's, it's an incredible album. And I've also spent a lot of time thinking about Pulp Fiction, which is another one that sort of came out of nowhere and sort of reinvented independent film. And I'm just looking like this decade got off to a weird start with the pandemic and everything, but I'm looking for those works of art in music and in film and in TV that are really going to set the tone for this decade. Because we got off to a weird start. It's probably off to a slow start, but the 2020s are not defined yet. Mm. And I think that my goal is just to be a part of those things that help define this decade, to, to sort of plant a flag and say, this is something that couldn't have happened before. And it's really special and, and people dig it. I love it, man. I love it. I love what you're doing. I love what you're talking about. Guys, this is Gold Mines, man. And if you don't know, uh, we're talking to Diallo Riddle and fucking just a good, a good brain, right? A good fucking brain. Uh, a guy who's so widespread in thoughts and the reasons behind a lot of the actions. Um, are dope. And I think that's the beauty of what we get to do here. We just get to see it, hear it, listen to it, uh, digest it. More Gold Mines with Kevin Hart after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance. Jewelry luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now back to Gold Mines with host Kevin Hart. I want to go on to, to Marlon, man. You got to work with Marlon. Marlon fucking Waynes. Who Marlon is, says hello, by the way. I texted him, told him I was, I, we were going to be talking today. It's one of my, that's one of, one of the good guys. He is. Marlon Wayans is one of my close friends, man, um, in this business. And just an all-around good dude. His he energy... Is, 
contagious, just a loving, good fucking dude. I just wanted to know, like, from that experience, you know, in, in working with Marlon at that point in his career, how was that for you? Like, what were you able to take away from that? So much. Uh, I, I could talk about that forever. I think the headline is that, you know, when people ask me, like, who's cool? You know, like, the people you've met and actually worked with, you know, extended amounts of time, who's cool? Who Who's... I always say, man, I would be friends with Marlon if we had never worked together because I, he didn't know me from any... I, my first time meeting him was auditioning for that show. Uh, you know, the NBC slash Netflix show Marlon. And I went in for an audition and it went well and they asked me for a callback. But, but it's funny because this is a Hollywood story. I remember getting those the audition sides for the first audition and I read it and the the lines were like, Hey, yo, Marlon, you got a you got a busted ass TV or something like that. And I actually called my agent. I was like, "Hey, you know, I don't think I can say it." Like, I look, I'm proud. I'm a proud black man, but I don't think this is a character they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna want me play. And she said, "You know what?" The producer specifically said, "Diallo should come in and read for it, but he can feel free to say it however he would say it." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay, we'll bet." You know, this costs me nothing. So I go in there and I do. However, I said, whatever the Diallo version of, yo, Marlon, you got a busted ass TV. I think I said something like, Marlon, the TV's broke, you know, or something like that. You know, like I said it the way that I would really say it. And then when I went in for the callback, the lines had changed to be whatever I had said in my first audition. So as an actor auditioning, I was like, oh, they must, they actually liked what I did. And that gave me a huge boost of confidence. And Marlon's in there and we do the scene together. And it was funny. And at the end of it, he gave me a one-arm hug, like a big one-arm hug, like, yo, you's a, f-. I don't know if we can, you can just believe it. He's like, yo, you's a funny nigga. <laughs> <laughs> and all I remember thinking was like, I wouldn't use that word, Marlon. <laughs> that was literally what was in my head. I didn't know him yet. He, yes. loves he loves that word. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know what? At the worst, they'll they'll bring me in to be like a one episode character or something like that. But I got the part. And I will say that the reason why I really respect that dude so much is that we became friends while shooting that show and Brisha Webb and Essence Sackens and the Brisha, kids. Brisha Everybody Webb. on that show. Yeah, go ahead. Brisha Webb. I was just going to say Brisha Webb is one of the most talented. Genuine. Like, I mean, dude. You really can't put words on it. Like, Brisha Webb is somebody that I'm rooting so hard for. (laughs) I'm rooting so hard for because she's just so kind-hearted, so, like, even-killed, thankful for the opportunities, but she's good. She's good. You were talking earlier about, like, what writers bring to the table, but the fact is we could do an amazing job and hand our words off to somebody who's not skilled, and Mm -hmm. they will die. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's one of those people you could literally hand her the phone book and Brisha's going to sell it. You know what I mean? Like she's going to bring all that good energy and just funny to what, you know, you hand her. It's just incredible. I I can't agree. And and by the way, Essence Atkins brings so much. In her own way, she brings like gravitas and funny and experience. I mean, like she, she, she could, she could knock it out on Broadway. She can do anything. Essence is polished. What do you mean? She's so, so, so fucking polished in, we in all, the space. No, I, um, I just say, we, we all just stayed friends through the shooting of that show and afterwards. There have been times in my life <laughs> when I have made the foolish decision to go out with Marlon, one of these oh, nightclubs. Yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. I'll get a, but then I'll get a talking to the next day like, look, man, 
You know, like, he's been famous for three decades. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things where, like, he's been on screen since he was 14. Like, he will literally pull you aside and, and, and give you, like, knowledge and the ropes and, like, marriage advice and all kinds of advice. I just feel like he's one of those people who takes care of the people around them. And if he thinks you're slipping on something, he will call you out on it. And I just always appreciated that. Like, he's the ultimate big brother. And, even though, and, even though and he's the youngest brother in that family. He's getting old, but his energy has not fucking budged. His, it's, it, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, when he goes, I'm said years old. And you're around him and that fucking laugh and energy and will and want to do is insane, man. You know, that, that family in general, man, I'm, I'm such a fan of them, their, their work ethic and, and their fucking level of love that they put on display for the world to see for one another. It's, it's inspiring. Can I, can I tell you, though, yeah. <laughs> a funny story about you and him? So Absolutely. one time, Please. he was like, yo, D, come with me to Vegas. We got to go see Canelo and Triple G. <laughs> and we're on the tarmac, and I swear to God, uh, we get on. He said something like, we're going to take a private. I think, you know, this gets a little bit in the weeds, but it wasn't a private. It was a small plane, but it mm-hmm. wasn't. But, like, our plane had to sit there and wait for your plane <laughs> to move. And Marlon was heated. He was sitting there like, yo, we got to wait on Kevin Hart's plane. <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, you just never think about that kind of stuff. It's like as a, as a kid who grew up wearing one sweater to school, like, we had no man. We had no man. I, it never occurred to me that there were, like... <laughs> I don't want to call it levels, but like Marlon was heated. He was like, tell Kevin Hart to take off, man. <laughs> He's probably not going to be happy I shared that. Ah, that was the oh first time God. I was just like, oh, man. Oh, <laughs> fucking Marlon. <laughs> fucking Marlon, man. Um, dude, you know, I gave you just the whole landscape earlier on in that conversation of that portfolio and, you know, yep. trying to get it to be diverse as possible. And of course, with you, we're talking about writing, acting. And now, you know, you're you're playing in the world of radio, right? This, this space wow. of pot, right? Like, I mean, this is what I mean when I say to broaden the horizons, to put yourself in a position just to where you're doing other things so that you can maintain a great mindset, a great space of happy, and that creative doesn't drop, man. So Diallo, your podcast, uh, name of your podcast, your co-host, give me the breakdown. The name of the podcast and Sirius XM show is called One Song with Diallo Riddle and Luxury. Uh, it's me, it's TikTok influencer, I know he hates that term, luxury, and we're going to be talking about music in very funny ways, but also in very enlightening ways, and it's a great time to spend some time. You know, all my earliest memories are tied to music. You know, my father had a jazz record collection of about like 3,000 plates, uh, (laughs) plates being DJ talk, you know, about 3,000 records, and um, just going down there and listening to, you know, all that jazz and Star Wars soundtrack and the Beatles and everything else, like music's always been there, and I've always found it's a way to connect with people. But I think at the end of the day, if you like music, every episode of one song, we take one very popular song from any decade. It could be Rehab by Amy Winehouse. It could be Let's Go Crazy by Prince. We take it and we break it down to just its, its fundamentals. You know what I mean? Like we say how it got recorded. What were some controversies so about it? We talk about the bass line and the keyboards. Like we, we get really deep into it. The wonderful thing is that often we have what they call the stems on the song. So like... We'll bring up like, oh, you know that 
that lyric everybody met. Well, the problem is, is that the background singer was really loud on that part of the song. And here's what they actually are singing. You know, we start off with a list of almost like 300 songs. We cut it down to 100. And right now we have like a list of 50 songs that we think are interesting and fascinating, you know, to talk about not just even just about those songs, but like the world that gave birth to them and the mm. way that they affected the world. So, mm. you know, we can talk about Protect Your Neck by Wu-Tang and the effect that that had on, you know, hip-hop in the 90s. We can talk about Stevie Wonder Intervisions and the and the, and the effect that that had. Obviously, there's going to be some Marvin Gaye in there. There's going to be an episode about one of the Beatles songs. But I think that what I have found is that music is a great common, you know, connector of people. Mm-hmm. And, and one of our episodes is all about Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It and how a song that sampled Slick Rick became like the ultimate, I mean, <laughs> you know, like weddings, bar mitzvahs, movie trailers, you know. Well, I mean, you don't, this doesn't stump me. Like, this is the second thing that you said, and I'm like, duh. Like, when you fucking, when you said Pee Wee Herman, and you're talking about how great Pee Wee's Big Adventure was. Yeah, it was fucking great. You talk about Montel Jordan, not only that it was a sample song, but how big of a fucking hit it was. You should be breaking down this song, because that song is fucking legendary. It's an immediate classic. And we yes. talk about, you know, 6-4, did he stand? 6-8, did he stand? Like, we're gonna we're gonna break it down and talk about everything about these songs. And by the way, we want all kinds of people to live. We have an episode about Juice World. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we, have, we have stuff for the young, stuff for the old, but everything in between. And the cool thing about me and Luxury is that we actually are pandemic friends. We're people, I was watching his videos during the pandemic. I finally hit him up. I was like, dude, I just want to say your videos are cool. That is all. He was like, hey, I've been watching your show Southside on HBO Max. I love that show. Wow. And then we just started going back and forth and eventually we traded like actual phone numbers. And then we would find we would talk on the phone for like, I would always be like, oh, I have a quick question for you. Just give me five minutes. Of time. I'd look up, be two hours on the phone. And then at some point I did like some work with Snoop. And then I think some people reached out. They're like, hey, would you like to do a, a show about music? And I was like, yes, but only if we can bring this guy luxury along because I find that like he knows about the stuff like he knows about like Pink Floyd. He's a white guy. He knows about Pink Floyd and some stuff that I don't know about. That's, that's a good, like, that's a great match. Yeah, and I've, I've been able to teach him about 90s hip-hop and the way that that gave way in the, to the Neptunes and Just Blaze and Kanye. Mm-hmm. And so together, I feel like we've got everything from like 55 Elvis songs to, you know, 2023 Lil Uzi Vert songs. You know, I think we've got everything in between. And, uh, and, and just because I've worked in this business for a while, we're going to also be hopefully bringing in some of the people that we've worked with. That's everybody from, you know, Morris Day and the Time to Drake. You no, you're, I mean? you're, you're checking all the boxes. And I love the reason for you guys kind of teaming up, right? Like finding that connective tissue to support the, the idea, right? And you both bring something extremely valuable to the table. You mentioned Southside. Right, yeah. great segue. Uh, what was your feeling on on and how the show ended? Like, where where are you at with that? We are so proud of that show. Look, we would love to. It's there's always a chance that someone gives us a chance to do a season four, but in today's mm-hmm. environment, and this is a little bit what that strike is about. But in today's environment, you know, a, a TV show that gets three seasons is not a fail by any stretch. No, like, that that's, that's a good healthy run and and. When we shot that last episode, we obviously didn't necessarily know that we weren't going to be coming back for a season four. But 
I feel like went into it thinking, yo, let's make sure that this is the perfect ending if it turns out to be that way. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, we, we never assume anything is promised tomorrow. So we were like, let's make sure that we leave it all on the table. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like, look, season one, I think was fantastic. I think season two and season three, we even took like some major swings because we moved from Comedy Central over mm-hmm. to HBO Max. But I always say that's a show that has never lost a fan. And mm-hmm. I've heard people say, you know, I, I hadn't, I had heard good things, but I was like, let me just watch the pilot. They ended up binging the whole <laughs> series, the whole, not the season, but the series in a weekend. And that's because we put a lot of time and effort into breaking stories. That's a term. It's the opposite of what it, breaking stories in our business means to, uh, to write and to craft, you know, the best possible story. We spent a lot of time making sure we didn't do any episode that we had seen on another TV show. And I think that's why some of the episodes go in really unexpected. So it might start, you know, at A, but then the very next scene is at an at a G. You know what I mean? Like we never wanted to do something that we'd seen. The quickest way to kill something in the Southside room was to say, you know, I've seen that before. You know, oh, you know, Blackish kind of did that. Oh, you know, Atlanta has an episode like that. Like, you know, it didn't even have to be black shows. We could be like, oh, you know, Mr. Show, Bob and Dave. They did a sketch that's kind of like that. Like we didn't want to do anything that had been done before. And I think that that show is testament to how hard we put into the actual storytelling. Absolutely. Absolutely. It 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 one thousand percent shows. It's amazing just you talking about the following and a fan base of that show because it's earned, it's not given. And making the transition from a comedy central to the world of HBO Max. Dude, it's dope as hell. And to your point, three seasons of a show in today's time, that's a hit. That's a hit. That's a and hit. By the way, I, I feel like it was more than three seasons because we had to jump through hoops just to get to the first season. We started a sizzle reel, which to, to people outside of the industry, that's like a proof of concept. That's when you take your own money and you just go out and you try and mm-hmm. shoot something. Mm-hmm. We shot a 15-minute proof of concept that we gave to Comedy Central. They were like, we like this. Now let's shoot an actual pilot. We shot a pilot. We turned it in. We were sweating. And they were like, okay, so now you can shoot this. And it's like, that's what got us to the first season. But I'll even take it a step further back because before that, I know you know Tim Story. Yes. Yes. Very well. So Tim Story, actually, when we were still writers on Jimmy Fallon, we pitched a show to HBO in in 2011. And they were like, yes, we love it. Let's try and make this show. And we shot a pilot in 2013. I still love that pilot, but HBO rejected it. But they were like, we're going to give you essentially one more chance. We hired Tim Story to shoot a a pilot that I hope one day leaks to the internet because I'm so proud of. It's called Brothers in Atlanta. And Brothers in Atlanta, directed by Tim Story, was basically us doing a show about two guys in their 30s who are way too old to be trying to be a DJ and a rapper. Um, When we shot that pilot, we had originally wanted T.I. to play the the thug next door. Our guys lived in one house, and clearly they were living next door to to an actual Atlanta-style trap house. And we wanted T.I. to play the role, but our casting director said... What if we got, what if we went non-traditional? What if we got Jaden Smith to play uh-huh. the, the head of the trap? And I was like, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So we got Jaden Smith to play that part and he killed it. But we had another part for like a famous rapper who came to the house, who was just friends with the guy around the trap house. And everybody we reached out to, everybody was unavailable or busy. And then she was like, well, you know, what if we got August Alsina to play the rapper or singer who's wow. the trap house? We were like, that sounds cool. So... August shows up on set. Him and Jaden have never met. Wow. And we were like, August, this is Jaden. Jaden, this is August. And I think your your listeners can probably figure out wow. why 
I was like, wow, we had a hand in history from that little show, Brothers. Wow. And you can you can figure out the rest. I'm not going to go any deeper, but they had never met before. But wow. the cool thing about Brothers in Atlanta to me was that that was the first time we were like, we're going to do a show that's going to be very specific to our backgrounds, our upbringing. Like in Atlanta, you know, there was a famous party promoter who died. And we used to always joke that, man, when he died, like there was a power vacuum in Atlanta's party promoter. Wow. Uh, you know? <laughs> and, and true enough... You know, we took that storyline, we made it into a Brothers in Atlanta episode. The long story short is Brothers in Atlanta never made it to air. The president of HBO got fired. His The guy who came in after him, he was not our friend. And he was like, okay. Wiped the slate. It was going away, yeah. But we took that same storyline and applied it to the south side of Chicago because it doesn't matter if you're on the south side of Chicago or southwest Atlanta or south Philly or the south Bronx or south LA. I always joke that black people clearly love living south of the city. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter where... You're from, these storylines make sense. So like, you know, the the day the Jordan drops is one of my favorite episodes of Southside. You know what I'm saying? It's all chaos breaks out because the new Jordans are coming out. These were the kind of like slightly heightened, but black people can laugh at them. Sort of like storylines that would like, we sort of pride ourselves on. And uh, if anything, that is the kind of storylines that we like to tell. We like to tell <laughs> stories of, of things that kind of happen in our real life. They're grounded. What do you mean? Grounded, yeah. relatable stories. Um, I mean, things that happen to you every day are, are funny enough. I'll never forget we were working with Drake one time. We were at Drake's house, and <laughs> and we were working with him on the ESPYs. But it was a party, and there were strippers there, and everybody was, all of us nerdy-ass writers were handed, you know, f- stacks of $1,500 to throw at the, <laughs> to throw the strip. I'll never forget, one of his bodyguards walked over to one of our writers. He was like, hey, uh, you at a two, and I'm going to need you to get to a nine. And I wanted to be like, you don't know them. That's, that's actually them at a nine. Like, <laughs> by the way, I was broke at the time. Like, Drake's dude handed me $1,500. He's like, yeah, throw these at the girls. And I was thinking to myself, like, I was broke. I was like, mm. yeah, I don't want to really, I don't want to waste like, this. How do I get this $1,500 out of Drake's house? It, I, I was like running through a heist movie in my brain. I was like, how do I get, because this $1,500 could help me out of, a couple of jams right now. This is like the power bill, the gas bill. This is like our cell phone bill. Like my wife would be so mad (laughs) if she knew I had $1,500 right now and I wasn't escaping through the vent system. Like, Yeah, fucking, it's it's a thought. I gotta get out of here. It's a thought. I gotta get the fuck out of here. There was so much money on the floor at Drake's house. I was just like, but I knew there were cameras too. So I was just like, that, that ain't gonna work. That ain't gonna work. But how do I get all this money into my Kia? That's all I could think. <laughs> I knew, but I, the fucked up thing is I knew the cameras was around. I knew the I was like, you can't see them. They might be in the fruit bowl, but I know that they're there. And just to get that $1,500 out of Drake's house would have changed my life. Shout out to Drake. We've worked with him a couple of times. He's a good dude. I don't think he knows this story. He's but a, very, like, Drake's a funny guy too. He's, he's a, a very a funny guy. Nerd. He's a yeah. comedy Jimmy Fallon, comedy nerd, Questlove, and comedy the nerds. They, they are comedy nerds. That's what people don't realize is that comedy nerddom and and music nerddom again almost the same thing. There's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth. There's a yes. lot of overlap. Yes, I love it, man. I love this conversation, and I hope the listeners did too, man. This is what this show is about. It's just about <laughs> fucking real dialogue, real authentic 
dialogue. We had that today with Diallo, man. Diallo, man, I want to congratulate you on everything, everything you're doing. More importantly, man, I want to echo it again. I support you. I support the world that you participate in. And I love the fact that you're doing a lot, man. It's just getting started. As a guy that's working and as a guy that's doing what you love to do, I'm telling you, it's just getting started and it's only going to get bigger. And I can't wait till we crack the code on the bigger things for you and I. We're just uh, getting yeah, started. Yeah, we gotta do it, man. I know, we're just getting started. The combination of you and Heartbeat, Laugh Out Loud, and the relationship, of course, with Sirius XM, these are all things that I think are lining up, right? And we've tried to do things and those things didn't work out in the earlier stages, but they're setting us up for the back half of the business. They'll they'll happen when they're supposed to happen. Absolutely. Hey, as a a father of three, I I would be remiss if I didn't tell you this. So you know how you always, that question always comes around. If you could have dinner with anybody living or dead, who would it be? Yes. I I asked my kids that recently and my 13-year-old, my oldest son, my 13-year-old, I was like, who would you have dinner with, living or dead? Who would it be? Uh, I kid you not. He said, Kevin Hart. Wow. Said, really? Wow. And he was like, yeah. He was like, I just think that he would make me laugh so much. So <laughs> there you go, man. Man, <laughs> that, you know what? It doesn't get better than that. Shouts out to your son for making my day, right? For making <laughs> my day. Uh, Listen, man, this is Gold Mines. You know what we do here. We get inside the minds of amazing people. And today was no different. Diallo, thank you. Hey, do me a favor, man. Before you guys go, please don't forget to subscribe to my guy's show, man. You can do it on Sirius XM. That's right, Sirius XM. Or you can go to your favorite podcast apps. Don't miss an episode. Guys, this is talking about the next steps in the world of creative, breaking down music uh, in a manner that you didn't even know it could be broken down in, infusing that space of comedy with intelligence, insight, etc. cetera. Uh, give it a listen, man. Don't forget, show my guy some love. That's why we're here. Educate yourself. After educating yourself, give me some follow through. Blake, tell me about the stems. So stems are basically the ingredients to a recorded song. It's all the elements you hear together, the drums, bass, the vocals. It's all of those, but they're completely isolated. Mm. The stems for popular songs are incredibly rare and really hard to get. Because if you have the stems, it's like having an x-ray of the song. You can see everything, you can hear everything, and you can change anything if you really want to. Okay, understood, but how did you get them? Well, about 10 years ago, a friend of mine came over and he brought a hard drive with five songs on it, all in stems. One of them was the Bee Gees' Staying Alive. And I also got Side 2 of Sgt. Pepper, but the one that really stands out in my mind was Queen and David Bowie, Under Pressure. I will never forget the first time I hit play on the isolated vocals. It was like being in the room with Freddie Mercury and David Bowie. It sent shivers down my spine, and it changed the way I heard music. After that, I became a part of this sort of secret underground network of producers and musicians who trade stems. And over the years, I've amassed a collection of more than a thousand of them. Wow, so you really have your hands on the holy grail of popular music. It's It's a little like that, but it's a hard drive, not a cup. Hi, I'm actor, writer, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm Blake Robin, a.k.a. producer and songwriter Luxury. You may know me as the guy who whispers, Interpolation, Interpolation, on TikTok. Luxury and I became friends during the pandemic. We'd have these long telephone calls where we would just nerd out on music, and, and we would talk about his magical vault of stems. And we figured, why not record these conversations and make a podcast? And this is that podcast. 
It's called One Song. In every episode, we celebrate and deconstruct some of your favorite songs from the last 60 years and tell you why they deserve one more listen. We'll take you inside these songs, tell you the story of how they were made, how they were recorded, and bring to life what makes them so important and special. Whether it's the iconic clavinet riff on Stevie Wonder's Superstition, or that Diana Ross loop that drives the notorious B.I.G.'s Mo' Money, Mo' Problems. Or Britney Spears' use of Bollywood samples in her song, Toxic. It's sort of like that scene in the original White Men Can't Jump, where Wesley Snipes says to Woody Harrelson, you listen to Jimi Hendrix, but you don't hear Jimi Hendrix. And yes, that's my Wesley Snipes impression. One song is going to help you hear the music. Follow and listen to One Song on Kevin Hart's LOL Radio on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. One Song is out July 19th. I promise, you've heard these songs a thousand times before, but never quite like this. Goldmines with Kevin Hart is a SiriusXM and Laugh Out Loud radio production executively produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. Additional production from Elise Ellis and engineered by Marcus Hamm. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.